Gospel according to John, chapter 17. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus prayed. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, as we are one, I and them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent them and sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. For the third week in a row now, our Gospel reading for this Easter season, we, we tune in to John's Gospels telling of the time that Jesus spent with his disciples on that Thursday evening before Easter, when already he was preparing them for not just the death and resurrection of the next three days, but already he was preparing them for his departure, his return to the Father, 40 days after that. Jesus starting early with all of that, Jesus feeling like he needed more than just the 40 days of Easter to feel that his dearest ones were ready for the goodbye that was coming up, sounds completely understandable, of course, to those of us who've ever watched a dear one of ours, who just a blink of an eye ago was a babe in our arms, and my gosh, how did this happen so fast? She's 18 now, and she's walking across a stage, and she's getting her diploma, and we're thinking to ourselves, gosh, were those 18 years even enough time to prepare her for the goodbye? that's coming up. And then you start thinking to yourself about everything you still want to say to her before then. Everything I've got to tell her before then, which if you're me, includes everything from oil changes to credit card fees to campus ministry connections. All of which, of course, are really just your way of thinking to yourself, I love her. And I so want what is best for her. And I so don't want life to hurt her. But then you look at her again and you do realize she's not my little one anymore. She grew up. And it's time. Time to do the growing up that can now only take place on the other side of a goodbye. You know, of course, that that won't mean she won't make a mistake or three. Because why should she be any different than you were? You hope she learns from her mistakes. You hope she experiences some grace, some kindness, when she makes her mistakes. Of course, you know that this big world she's stepping out into won't always be kind, because why should it start always being so now? Which, of course, is why there's the other thing you do then, though you've actually been doing this all these 18 years, but you do it now with the most fervor you've, you've ever done. You pray. 
You say, God, watch over her and protect her and lead her and guide her and hold her close to you because I can't anymore hold her close to me. Jesus, on the 43rd day before the goodbye, he was readying his loved ones for it. Didn't, if you notice uh, from some of our last readings, didn't do the stereotypical guy thing and assume that his loved ones somehow between the lines knew that he loved them because that's what he meant when he, when he told them about credit card annual fees and interest rates. No, Jesus was man enough and human enough to say it out loud. We heard it a few weeks ago in John 13. He told them he loved them. Then he did the very same thing that I was just realizing um, is the same thing my mom did a, um, a year ago this coming week, right before she died. He told his loved ones after he was gone to love one another as he'd loved them. Then he didn't, perhaps couldn't, as we surely can't, tell them every single everything about the future they would soon step out into in this not always kind world. He didn't tell them all the exact details of where their future faithfulness would lead them or what exactly faith and faithfulness might cost them. But listen, he said, remember what I've told you. Remember everything I've told you. And remember that at the end of the day, no matter what happens along the way, you and the future for forever are in my love's hands. So he said, and we heard this last week, don't be afraid. Don't ever be afraid. For through my triune sister, the Holy Spirit, I will be with you, as will my peace, which I give to you. Which takes us to our reading for today, where Jesus now reaches the same point anyone who has ever loved has reached at some point, that being the point where the only thing you can do for your loved one anymore is pray. Our text for today is the final portion of that prayer that Jesus prayed for his loved ones that night, the portion in which, in sort of an umbrella-like fashion, he extends his prayer to be not just a prayer for his loved ones, his followers who are with him in that room that night, but too for his loved ones, his followers, all of them who would ever be. In our text for today, in other words, Jesus prays for us and all others too, who today call him Lord, and whom he calls his church. Listening into these words from his prayer with his followers in that room on that night, Heavenly Father, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe. Two clear things. Number one, Jesus wants his followers, all of them, to be one. But number two, his desire for unity in his church is not so we could feel all warm and fuzzy as we gather together and kneel around an altar singing, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, while the world around us, ignored by us, continues on its merry way to hell in a handbasket. No, not at all. His prayer for the unity of his church was for the sake of its mission. 
which is to bear witness to the world and draw all to the healing and saving love of God. So, unity in the church. There are in the world those who call Jesus Lord and who say that my LGBTQ friends are steeped in sin because of their LGBTQ-ness. I say that those who say that are wrong. There are those in the world who call Jesus Lord and who say that women and their voices are to be subservient to men and their voices, and so women should not be pastors in Christ's church. I say that those who say that are wrong. There are in this country those who call Jesus Lord and who say, maybe not quite in so many words, but in lots of words and in lots of actions, that the Sermon on the Mount, for example, stands in uncritical, hand-holding agreement with the platform of the Republican Party. I say that those who say that are wrong. There are, of course, too, in this country, those who call Jesus Lord and who say between the lines of their words and actions that the Sermon on the Mount, for example, stands in uncritical, hand-holding agreement with the platform of the Democratic Party. I say that those who say that are wrong. There are too in this country those who stay far from the church or have left the church because the loudest words they've heard from the church are not the gospel and grace, but moralistic judgments from church people who seem sure and act sure that they are surely way better than them, which is why they personally are going to heaven. I say that those who say that are wrong, and those who have been told that have been wronged. As too, there are those in this country who stay far from the church or have left the church because they have seen its fights about who's right and who's wrong, and they want no part of it. I say that those who say that, of course, have a point. Because sometimes, not necessarily because Christians disagree, but because of the ugly ways in which Christians have disagreed, the church seems just like the world, which actually then feels that the church is worse than the world because for crying out loud, you expect better of it. And yet Jesus prayed, and I believe prays still, Heavenly Father, may my followers, my church, be one, as we are one, so that all may know you and me and our healing love for all. So I was thinking, thinking of some of the prayers I've prayed. Maybe you have prayers like this too. Prayers that I've, prayers that I've prayed for years. Maybe so you have some of those too. And these, I'm just sure, I mean, not every prayer I've ever prayed I can say this about, but these prayers, I'm sure, have been faithful prayers, and they have asked faithful things. But sometimes it's discouraging because my prayers feel unanswered, and I feel ignored, and I sometimes wonder about God then, or sometimes I wonder if there's something wrong with my faith then. Which got me thinking, and this is possibly heresy, um, but I can't help it. I was thinking, after 2,000 years now, of praying this prayer for unity in his church. Is Jesus ever discouraged? 
Does he doubt God the Father? Or doubt his own faith? Or doubt his own loved ones? His church? Because this prayer of his feels unanswered or ignored? Probably not, I suppose. Although even just thinking that, I felt a little closer to him. Actually, probably more accurately, I felt him a little closer to me. Felt maybe he understood me a little more. Thinking about that then got me thinking a few more things, some of which turned out to be helpful to think about. It got me thinking, first of all, about the readings from the book of Revelation, which we have been doing all Easter season, along with these readings from John's Gospel. And though some of the things, many of the things in Revelation aren't clear, especially if you start running around in its weeds while thinking that the highest level of truth there is is literal truth. But for several weeks in a row now, the book of Revelation has clearly told us one thing more than once, and that is that this prayer for unity will be answered one day, when at long last all that is not of God will have been won. <laughs> that battle will have been won. And all people, all nations, all creeds, all races will all know that God is God and Jesus is Lord and around his throne all will be won over by love and all will be won. It will be. It will be. That said, that word will, being future tense, reminds me that even this prayer of Jesus, though surely to be answered, will be answered finally in God's time. Which then, well, I may not like it, it reminds me that my prayers, even my holiest and faithfulest and best prayers, will be answered. But they too will be answered in God's time. Which got me thinking another thing. Jesus didn't. And here I may be going all heretical again, but I actually think maybe Jesus couldn't. In fact, I even think that in this world anyway, maybe even God can't force God's desires upon the wills of those who are prayed for, or for that matter, upon the wills of us, whom Jesus prays for, because force and its twin brothers, coercion and bullying, are the sin-polluted ways of the world. But God is love, and love is never forced. It can't be, because then it is no longer love. It is coercion and bullying. That got me thinking another thing. Pope Francis said once, you pray for the hungry, and then you feed them. This is how prayer works. There's a twofold truth behind that statement. Number one, sometimes prayer accomplishes the good things it does, not because God does something after the prayer is answered, but after the prayer is prayed, but because of what we do after the prayer is prayed. But two, that doesn't whatsoever make prayer superfluous, rather makes it more necessary than ever, because if we do what we do just on our own, without prayer, we will end up time and again doing what we will do. Which, of course, then brings us to the problem in the world which the Bible says is as old as fruit trees. That being the damned 
things we do do on our own. Faithful prayers are prayed, on the other hand, in the confidence that those prayers will find ways to change us who pray in the direction of what God would have us do. Like feed the hungry. Which got me thinking that therefore, in the case of Jesus' prayer for unity in the church, surely there is included the prayer that we who are the church might indeed do what is ours to do in the direction of a church that will one day be fully one with a oneness that is truly one, for it is the oneness it is one with is God's love. Which, as I think about actually now up and trying to do that, gets me thinking these admittedly possibly random final things. Unity is not the same as uniformity. For uniformity insists that the proof of our unity be our sameness, our identicalness, our just like each otherness. True Christian unity, on the other hand, found in our same Lord, is at its powerful and most beautiful best when it holds us together specifically in our not sameness or identicalness or just like each otherness. Two, too often what passes for unity is actually not unity amidst our differentness, but rather the silencing of dissent. Christ's unity, on the other hand, is not found in silencing others. Christ's unity is found in prayerfully listening to others and then seeing, discovering what God can do with that. Which will never happen if the only people I'm listening to and forming my opinions with are people who agree with me. Which leads to three. If the only friends you have are people who agree with you, find more friends. Find other friends. If you lean left, find a friend who really does believe that all life is sacred and a gift from God, even if it is unborn. If you lean right, find a friend who really does believe that claiming to be pro-life while simultaneously defunding access to prenatal care or health care or child care for those who are born is so hypocritical. Which leads to my last thought, a thought for us at Gloria Day Lutheran Church. In this too often hatefully these days, partisanly polarized nation, a community that faithfully and lovingly and respectfully and prayerfully and boldly could demonstrate a unity that is bigger than our disagreements, even our bold and loud disagreements. That community, that congregation would be a gift from God, a gift to the church, and a gift to the world, to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. May they be one, Jesus prayed, and prays still, and he does so looking at us. May it be so. Amen.